The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Lauren Corella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Not here this week would be Ryan, in case you didn't notice, but we do have our amazing co-host, Zach Sloan, so I will be bringing him out here to chat with us right now. Hey, Zach, how's it going? You know why Ryan's not here? Why is Ryan He's not here? He's scared to face me. <laughs> And why is that, Zach? Because when the Nuggets go up, I'm not. This is just Andy backstage. I'm taking a shot at Ryan, not you. When the Nuggets go up 3-0, they finish the series. But when the Heat go up 3-0, they let the Celtics win one. I know. I know you Miami people are, are afraid to face me. It's fine. It's fine, Ryan. Do, See, and do then I thing. get into my uh, my NBA conspiracy theories where I'm like, do you know how much money they make on every postseason game? Like, they're like, look, we can't have both of these series go out in four games. Like, somebody's got to give us some more ticket sales. And Miami's like, that's all right. That's all right. We'll give you one. And, yeah. you oh, know. I'm sure Miami known for its <laughs> generosity. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I have to give you that one. So as you were mentioning, we do have Andy Frasco backstage, Mm -hmm. who will be our guest in the second half of this show. And we are super looking forward to speaking with him. I know you are, Zach, because you are a uh, fellow resident of the Denver area and a musician as well. Uh, He is going to be speaking with us about his world-saving podcast that is now on volume.com, which I cannot wait to talk to him about. Oh, I can't, I can't wait either. And, you know, if, if you're not, if you haven't heard Andy's uh, podcast, you've probably heard his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, his band is fantastic. Um, also, a fantastic Twitter follow. You guys should check him out on Twitter. The dude's got a hilarious thing going on over there. Um, yeah, so I'm he spends really, a lot of time on his cell phone from what I've heard. I'm stoked <laughs> to talk to this cat. Oh, yeah, me too. About a lot of things. Like, the podcasting world is awesome and what he's doing with it, but he's bringing in musicians and entertainment people to have these discussions that a need to happen which is awesome and has been doing it for a long time but at the same time is an active touring musician like a lot he's one of those on the road more than not um people and i'm excited to talk to him about that side as well oh i mean i i always love hearing people from people who are in the thick of it because the perspective (laughs) You know, not not that I have a problem with listening to people who used to do it or aspire to do it or whatever, but people who are actively doing it, they always yeah. they always have a perspective that I find to be the most useful. So, Andy, I'm I'm looking forward. And once again, I'd like to reiterate, I'm trash talking Ryan's Miami Heat, not the last Los Angeles Lakers. I would like to reiterate that. Uh, we'll have to send out our condolences in the uh, second half. I know uh, he's probably had to. Uh, tap real deep into his mental health roots while he was mourning the last uh, couple of days. I want to say the last couple of days, but I feel like that whole series has been a little rough for Lakers fans. So 
Ah, well, again, see, see, this is Lauren talking about the Lakers, not me. I'm, I am here <laughs> exclusively to trash the Heat. That is my oh. job today. And in all fairness, I will say us Miami folk were, uh, well, at least from the people I was around, were preferring not to have to go up against uh, LeBron again because we don't exactly love that conflict. So we were happy to watch them not be up against us. That was just terribly grammatically out of order there, but you got the picture. I'm I'm looking forward yeah. to kicking Denver's butt. And by me, I mean Miami. And I'm looking forward to, I, I think there needs to be a break the business bet. I think we need to have a bet of some sort. Um, assuming that Miami actually goes to the finals, who knows? That's not even a done deal. You may not make it. I, it's in, in the event Miami actually does it and actually closes out a series, I think there should be a Denver versus Miami break the business bet. I'm just saying. Again, just if, we're going to do that just as well as we did our uh, our Eurovision uh, contest yes, there. Cause I, like, I won that, by the way. I would like did you? That. Yes, because because <laughs> no one competed so. against you. <laughs> yes, I said so, so I win. I win. Um, so on the topics of other things that are happening in this world, uh, I heard you prepped a... AI overlord tip of the week based on this whole uh, theory you have here. Uh, yes. Any chance I can uh, beg of you to share said tip with us? I do have the, the AI overlord right. tip of the week. Here we go. AI overlord tip of the week. AI overlord tip of the week. I love that song. All right. Here is our AI overlord tip of the week. Just like the Denver Nuggets will outshine the Miami Heat on the basketball court, indie creators can achieve success by standing out from the competition. Embrace your uniqueness and let it shine through your work. Whether it's your distinctive style, innovative approach, or bold ideas, remember that originality is key in capturing the attention of your audience. Don't be afraid to take risks, push boundaries, and showcase what sets you apart. By being true to your authentic self, you'll create a lasting impact and increase your chances of winning in the creative arena. Remember, in a world of indie creation, being the Denver, being the Denver Nuggets is a whole lot better than trying to be the Miami Heat. You had to go there. You you had to bring Chad, our uh, our AI overlord. You you had to bring him into your whole vicious vendetta. I you know what's funny is I didn't even ask it to do that. I just said, "Will you give us an AI <laughs> tip?" And it was like, "Sure." Um, and then there's all this just heat hate in there. I don't know who did it. That's that's how you know it's listening to you. Yeah, that's that's fine. It's saying you're like, I didn't even mention it. And it's like you didn't have to. Mm -hmm. We it heard you me. mention it enough. Mm -hmm. I the whole AI thing is is really kind of still weirding me out, and not weirding me out as in it's going to take over our creative thinking, but more so it's going to bring us into. A, like a war between each other while it figures out what it's doing. I don't know if you've been paying much attention to all of this AI uh, world that's happening with the the writer strike and now oh the artist going in. Like I, it's interesting to see that whole concept of you know we've been talking about is our creative writing going to be replaced or at least partially replaced with artificial intelligence writing and. Um, it's one thing to talk about it. It's interesting to me to see how that's going to play out in terms of I both agree that it is important to protect 
the rights and the payment, the ability to make money from our creative writers. And at the same time, it's weird to ask a bunch of studios and organizations that don't know what the future is to sign into something that says you can't have some shows that are written that way and mm -hmm. some shows that aren't and something like it's it would be a hard stance to win and I don't where's Ryan when I need legal advice but it's an interesting situation to me because I I want them to win but I don't know how they'll feasibly come to that compromise you know and I don't know either and I think and, I, and we're seeing this not just in television and movies right like currently Universal's entered an, entered an agreement with an AI with a company that makes AI music yeah right? but and the soundscapes right like yes exactly um and so this is something that is, has far reach that reaches far across not just you know visual mediums but you know music as well and there is this weird thing where i'm with you i, I want to protect these writers i want to make sure that they are taken care of but this at the same time how do you say you can't use a tool i think that i wonder if as these as this shifts that you're going to see more of a premium put on editing and less on the initial writing and the editing is where you, where you make the big bucks. Well, and that's what I wasn't really thinking about until the writer strike. That's one of the things right. that's actually brought up in their case which made me go, "Hmm, is they're saying what they don't want to become is paid editors for yeah. artificial intelligence." Cuz they're saying they do, they see that too, you know, "Hey, look, somebody's going to come to us with a treatment and say, "Here's what this episode's going to be about. Can you clean up this script?" and they're like, I, I want to be writing this. I don't want to be your professional editor of art. I, I'm not there to clean up artificial intelligence's work. I'm there to create my work. And I can see that. And I, I, I think that that's terrible for them. And that could be a future that they see ahead of them. Not, oh, it's going to replace me, but rather it's redefining my job to a job I don't want. Let's play devil. Can I play devil's advocate? I'm a please, lawyer too. Please, please. Is that not oftentimes the goal of technology and of tools, to allow you to do something, so to do something more efficiently, so that you can do, make the overall product better? I don't love the idea, but to me, but I'm torn. It, yeah, it feels almost inevitable. It feels like we're walking towards this, this, um, this time, and maybe we're walking in it now where those initial drafts it is almost irresponsible to do it entirely from scratch i mean you know in my for in my lawyer days i wish back when i practiced law i had this to draft initial initial contracts i mean ryan and i have played around with oh, just yeah. drafting entertainment contracts not that we we had used them but like to That's get a, a rough but to get a rough starting spot like mm -hmm. it would be irresponsible not to do that and i and to be clear they do say people. that they don't say you can't use it at all. They're saying mm -hmm. if it's a tool, they get into writer's credits, blah, blah, blah. And I know I'm right. specifically talking on that front right now in terms of the Writers Guild, but that's, you know, it's the, the precedent that gets set by whatever this settles out to be is going to bleed into the under, other industries. It's going to affect how we see the writing of a lot of things. And so I'm keeping an eye on it. Uh, because it fascinates me, but also because it's interesting. But they're saying they are okay with it being used as a tool, 
but they don't want it to be the initial creation. It needs to be credited very much like any other research. A producer printing up a Wikipedia page and saying, hey, this is something that happened. Can you write an episode on it? Can't be treated any differently than AI spitting out information and saying, hey, work on this. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, we're seeing these conversations. In fact, you sent me an article not just you know earlier today about what's going on currently in the European Parliament. Yeah. Right? I mean, they are they are wrestling with this on a on a scale that's larger than what we're talking about now. And as I look at what's going on around the world, sometimes it's hard for me to make heads or tails over what is actually best for the world and for creators. Yeah. Because the European, the EU is really fighting with it. If you look at any of the legislative history of what they're dealing with right now, it is bonkers. And they're doing the paperwork. And again, yeah. once the precedents are set, like we kind of, this is all uncharted ground. And now I feel like we're all these naysayers. Roar, this is so terrible. Um, but I see the pro on the other side too. Like, like you said, you know, when there's this kind of progress with technology, it does take people out of the loop or redefine roles. I God, please don't put writers in the same category as trash collectors, but I'm going there. So like I think of trash collectors because we had people lifting up trash cans and dumping them into the bins and they had to be a certain weight and they went, wait, we can make a machine that picks it up and dumps the trash. And there were a bunch of people and do you know how many people you're taking out of work? Mm -hmm. They don't do that anymore. Three people used to have to go on every truck and now one guy drives a truck and picks it all up. And again, I don't want to put any kind of creative field in that, but they are kind of in some ways treating them like that, where they're just like a machine can replace what you do. And it's, it's a strong fight for you can't replace the creative thinking process. Um, you can even go side by side with it, but you can't replace it. And then at the same time, I go on the other side from a studio's perspective from sony who said you know we'll make a deal that you can use ai created things for x and such it is something that's its own thing and i think it's also dangerous to say disney and universal and paramount and fox are never going to have anything entirely written by ai because that's something they won't be allowed to explore if they agree to right. that complete thing. And then you get pop up other organizations that aren't members of these guilds and unions. And now they can't compete with what the market may be in the future. And so it's hard for me to, I don't know. Well, I mean, and this is the thing is like, I know how I personally feel about this. And the, and I, I side very much that I, I would assume most of our listenership that we want to make sure we value the creative. So I keep trying to devil's advocate yeah. myself. And I got to thinking to an episode that you, Ryan, and I did maybe 18 months ago, maybe two, I don't know. And it was, wow, Hollywood is just recycling the same five movies over and over and over. And I'm I'm sitting there today thinking about this going, wow, is AI how we break that cycle? Will people finally be willing to take risks if, a comp if it's the new hot technology? And haven't we dealt with automation for as long as capitalism has pushed toward in this direction i mean is maybe the machine that we're fighting isn't ai maybe it's capitalism and these are these giant things that as an artist i'm grappling with and i'm like i don't know how to combat it i really don't and that's where i'm torn like i i see pros i see cons but more importantly i see a changing world which uh we're always a part of but we're watching this change in the world and i don't know 
what's going to happen. And I'm not in the position that a lot of people are where it's, it's my current right now today, bread and butter, this is scaring me. And or this is my opportunity to make my name in a new way by harnessing this power. Um, I am feel like a bystander. I'm standing here going like, I don't know. But it's like a train wreck. Like, I can't stop watching. Well, and I think one thing, and I've, I said this on, I've said this on the podcast a few times. I think in the age of AI as tied to music, this is where live bands need to, this is where live bands have the opportunity to really make their place. And yeah. I actually want to talk to Andy about this because if you have not seen Andy's band, they are <laughs> a live powerhouse, yeah. right? And so they can attract fans in a way that AI just simply cannot. They don't and bring so, music. They bring like an energy. Like, oh no, a, yeah. it's ridiculous. Um, and so you, I would be curious to hear what his thought is because he's a active touring musician who puts on a heck of a live show. And so maybe he, kind of like me, secretly goes, maybe this AI thing is a good way to make live music more important again after the pandemic where it sort of got pushed into the basements and into the living rooms for house concerts and things like that. Maybe now it's time to get it back out, main, main stage, big shows again. A Andy, be ready for that backstage, dude, because I'm going to ask you about that. <laughs> I, think, I think from an actor's point of view as well, and that's because that's kind of where my brain goes and as they're bringing in the possibility of a, a SAG and an after a strike going mm -hmm. with it. And my brain is like, whoa, the performance unions used to have like a no strike clause. Because as a performer, as somebody who has majority of my life taken the words of someone else and turned them into real life by creating a character around it and creating an environment around it, the opportunity to take things entirely written by AI and see how human we can make them feel is also very interesting to me. Like I, when I thought about, well, what if the entire TV show was written by it? Like it might be God awful, but is that an opportunity? I wanna say, I don't ever want the opportunity to work on projects that are not written by human beings. Like. I might. I might want to see how that goes. Um, it, might be, it might be interesting. It might be fun to play. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that that should take over anything. And I'm not saying that I honestly think that what is brought by creators and the energy. We talked about uh, Frasco and, and them, that the energy that is brought from people who bring of themselves to a space is something that can't be duplicated. You can read, you can listen, you can hear things, but you can't feel. And we learned that in the pandemic, when you put musicians in a room with their audience, when people communally laugh, when you feel right. the energy of somebody holding back, crying, sitting next to you that you've never met before, that's something we can't duplicate yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like you said, live is a huge thing. And I see the tool that is AI, supplementing what can happen live but it's scary to think of the work that confuses us and then we get thrown off our guard i don't know well you know and and a shameless plug that's why when my band dear marcia hosts the women who rock the rockies annual event mm. i mean we're trying to pull together as many live powerhouses as we can to make a communal experience for people who want to appreciate female fronted bands and uh 
in the United States or any, anywhere in the world. We haven't had an international act yet. But, I mean, that's what we're, again, shameless plug, that's what we're trying <laughs> to do here, you know, in June. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to talk to Andy about this. But, Lauren, can I shift you to pop culture for a moment? Please, because if you let me go down the AI rabbit hole, uh, I don't know if I can dig myself back out. Well, I don't know if this is going to make you feel any better, but I think it, it, I would be... I would be ashamed of myself if I didn't mention the loss of Tina Turner today. Mm, um, losing I Tina Turner. I didn't know that. Yeah, I found out right before we went on air. I found out that as I was looking through Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones Twitter feed, um, she was the first woman and the first black artist to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone. Um, when she released "What's Love Got to Do with It," she was the oldest female artist at the time to score a number one hit. Uh, she's been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Wow, um, I didn't know you could do that twice. Uh, she, yeah, well, she was in as a group and in as a solo artist. Oh. And my band, again, shameless plug, Dear Marsha, we love to do Proud Mary um, whenever we get the chance live. And I just, it, it, she's one of those singers that you just love. And it kind of gutted me when I found out. So, uh, Tina Turner, we, we love you very much. And you will be very, very missed. Oh, man. See, Zach Sloan, no. I can bring down the vibe anytime. I know. I thought I was a downer. That's so. That's a huge loss to the music community. Yes, she's um, she was 83. Um, and, you oh. know, anybody who gets the name the queen of rock and roll is good in my book. You know what I mean? Well, here's hoping that it causes a lot of the younger people and even the older people to put on her music again and get to, like, get that re-up of our fix of her because because her music won't ever die so no i i, so de I defy that. you to listen to what's love got to do with it and not dance oh man i defy you to listen to it and that's not even the song oh. i meant the um right. simply the best excuse me simply the best is the song i'm, I'm referencing oh. i defy you to listen to Simp simply the best and not dance I'm okay sorry. i can't do it i can't do it i'm gonna cut to commercial break early so that we can come back and speak with our guest andy frasco and uh hear more about that we'll be right back all right ryan Corella here i hope you're enjoying the show and i hope that you're getting a lot out of it i do what i do because i care about creators like you a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life.
Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business. I'm here with Zach Sloan. Ryan is still having his flight rerouted somewhere. He ain't never even landed. Like the plane is going somewhere other than Miami. There's been some really bad weather here and I can't wait for Ryan to get back because uh, this is his first trip with the new baby. And oh, word. I know. I really want to hear how traveling in terrible weather with a uh, new baby is going to go for him. I feel like that's a little schadenfreude right there, but I'm like, ooh, so how did it go? Uh, but hopefully he will bad. be making it home safely. I almost feel bad about making fun of the Miami Heat knowing that, but oh, almost. I know. Almost. He's in a terrible mood, I'm sure. But what should put us in a better mood is uh, our guest, Andy Frasco. If, whoa, wait, we have, sorry. Your visitors have said Frasco builds a roof, then takes it down. And I'm really hoping that's a compliment. And hopefully our guest, Andy Frasco, will be able to fill us in on that. This week's guest is Andy Frasco. He is the host of the World Saving Podcast that is now on volume.com, which I can't wait to hear more about. He is a touring musician as well as a host and frankly, a inspirational guy. I have found a lot of joy listening to some of the things he rants about on his uh, on his Instagram. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him. So without further ado, here is Andy Frasco on to Break the Business. Hi, Andy. How you doing? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. This is great. What's up, man? Oh, I'm glad to have you. I've been listening to your voice for the last few days. I went back all the way to like episode one of your podcast because I wanted to know what like pre-pandemic world-saving podcast sounded like. The cocaine I, years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the years we're recovering from those. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> years that we uh, forget, we try to forget, but it's on podcast form. Your life is basically <laughs> on podcast form now. So I get to Do you my ever feel reminds like me of it all the time. Um, yeah. Oh, my mom listens to every podcast. So she's like half like she finally getting to know who I am, but also <laughs> scared scared of me <laughs> is it a good sign that your parents are learning about you through your podcast yeah because you know when i was a kid all i cared about was business and my parents were older my they had me when they're a bit older so and i had two sisters so they're kind of done with parenting a little bit so i was like kind of like raising myself a hair and um i got i started i fell in, i grew up in la so i fell in love with the music industry so i got my first job when i was like 14 years old at drive through records <sighs> So I just been working. I worked all day. I work. I, I still work all day. So I, that's what I love to do. But when I was in high school, I used to. I convinced my principal to get me out of school like one p.m. so I could pretend I'm eighteen years old to work at this record label. <laughs> so yes. I've, been home, I've been working since I was like you know eight, 8 p.m. every day. My parents were like, "Thank God he's not doing drugs." Or you know. <laughs> how'd that go for them? <laughs> it, it went pretty good because I was pretty straight laced until I found uh, you know. About the jam scene and and like Grateful Dead and stuff. I'm like, these guys are all doing this stuff influenced. I'm like, hell yeah, this sounds like a party. I want to try. So you started touring at like 19, is that right? 
Yeah, I was. Um, I started playing music when I was 19, and well, like 18. It was like my senior year in high school. I was like, I wanted to try. I was like, kind of over the music industry. Um, I was like, it was like right when like Napster and LimeWire hit, so they fired all the young guys there, thinking digital. We didn't understand digital marketing when we were the ones stealing all the music when we were kids. But whatever, they fired us. All right, fine, keep the job. We'll go do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm like, I'm just gonna be a musician and uh, learn and take the take the the business side I learned from run, working at record labels and booking agencies and take that into uh, um, songwriting myself. So I knew the business side. I just booked myself in 19. Yeah, I started touring like I did. I've, I started doing 250 shows a year in, when I wow. when I was 19. Yeah. What was that like to be around? I'm, we'll go into more of that side later, but to be that young and on the road around all of that partying and drinking and likely drugs and all kinds of influences before you were even 21. Uh, how did that affect not just your touring life, but your music? I mean, it sucked because I couldn't get into the bars. I would, <laughs> I'd have to like sit in the cars all day. Well, you know, like I was Craigslisting musicians every night cause I didn't have a band yet. So I was driving my van to each city and i'd like book a show i'll say like in kansas or something i'd, I'd cold call for, fake my name so i was drew mitchell frasco or whatever you know drew mitchell <laughs> to because it wasn't cool to represent yourself it still isn't i guess but that's lame you should get cooler that's getting cool and uh yeah i was booking myself and i had to hire musicians in every city i did like the chuck berry thing where he would just show up in town and I'd have like these three chord songs because that's all I knew was these three chords and C and I'd just play like three hours of music and just like use and just, you know, talk shit and stuff. And for the first two years I couldn't drink or anything. So I was hyper-focused. I was on map. That was when map quest was the thing. So I'm looking at the map, I'm driving, you know, sleeping in the car, you know, maybe, you know, hook up with a girl or whatever. So I could have a place to sleep. It was like, it was just vagabond life. And, uh, I, 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 that's when I fell in love with it because I, I felt safe. You know, even when I was sleeping in a gas station parking lot by myself, I felt safe. And I think it was because I was, uh, you know, attempting to follow my dreams, which was, you know, be in the music industry. So. so at what point would you say it stopped feeling like uh, you were following your dreams and, uh, you know, a workaholic and became more influenced by the road and, taken outside of what sounds like a comfortable place for you uh, in what way like drugs or like yeah uh, i guess is is my you know i i've heard I a lot later of recovery stories but then i hear like if did it burn you out were was there a point where you kind of hit a hit a a transition or did you not even notice the transition no because i was just i i was i drank i like drinking i didn't really like <laughs> do blow every day that wasn't my thing because i was always so hyper it just that just made me neurotic and horny it's oh. like i couldn't work you know it's like cocaine is a weird drug i can't i can't focus on when i'm on cocaine unless i'm like cleaning the house or something or like <laughs> doing something you know not creative out. yeah not creative on that but i did what really opened my brain was when i started taking psilocybin mushrooms and um mm. i was I, you know i was burnt out from the road i was drinking every night I was playing shows at all these clubs and just, I didn't know, I didn't see any end to just 
doing this groundhog day playing at clubs till 3 a.m blacking out and waking up at seven to drive eight hours to the next city you know it was just a groundhog day and I, I just got started getting burnt out and i realized i wasn't doing it for the music anymore i was doing it for the party and it just put me in a bad spell because why am i working so hard if i'm just partying all the time it just didn't make any sense to me because i need to work and i need to feel complete or, or fulfillment through the process of my work or if it's like even if it's like step by step my career is going step by step i need to see it going step by step if i started like plateauing i go crazy in my head so i think that's what happens so i cut down drinking and i cut down the coke as much you know cold turkey that but i wasn't doing it that much and then i i was depressed and i had to find a therapist and i was on the road so much that I it was just pain in the I couldn't talk about my therapy with my band, you know, <laughs> about my band, you know, or whatever it is, you know. So I couldn't talk about them. So I went into psilocybin and I realized I was just sheltered and I was finally just being I was always a closed book, and that's why I was working so much because I was just suppressing my feelings, suppressing my feelings. That I finally took psilocybin to finally talk about all the things that why I'm running away from life, you know, through work or whatever. And it really opened me up. And then I started writing songs because I was open. And, you know, I believe in like a vessel. Like these aren't your songs. It's like this ether thing that shines a light on you like abduction. It's like an alien. And they go, we're going to talk about heartbreak. We're going to talk about optimism. And I finally woke up and I finally felt the, the, the light. And um, I feel like I've been writing my best songs ever since. You know, that was like six years ago. So, So when did it go from you're on the road hiring bands to having the UN and having this this band that is oh dear god so good like thanks man yeah they're the best um it took like three years i was traveling that's I mean, it yeah what? well i was doing i mean i've done i did I, in three years i did 630 oh, shows fair. so i had fair fair but still three-year-old drummers and 19 year old bass players it was just a mess i looked it was just so funny, and I, as I look back at it, and then the first guy I found was my sax player Ernie at a Starbucks parking lot. He was just like playing acoustic and like reading Shakespeare. He was like totally a theater kid. Yes. I'm like, this sounds cool. I, so I started smoking some cigarettes with him, drinking some coffee for like four hours. Four hours turned three days in a row of hanging out. You know, I would just stay in these towns because I didn't have a gig till Tuesday, so I would just stay in LA <laughs> or stay in Springfield or just like. Bill Murray, the whole thing, and I met Ernie. I'm like, I'm leaving tomorrow. If you want to come with me, he quit his job. So now I have two guys in the band. And then we drove to Springfield like four months later, and our our guitar player at the time, well, like the, my regional guitar player, Corey, couldn't make it, so we brought Sean over. He's like, hey, this guy can fill in for you, no problem. So I'm like, all right, cool. It's a Wednesday. No one's who cares. And he showed up and he's killing it. And I'm like, oh my God. So I asked him, I'm like, I'm going on. We're, we're keep on going. So he came on the roads and now we have three guys. And then I shuffled through a couple drummers. And then I went on, um, then I met Andy Avila and uh, my drummer um, off Craigslist. And he said, he lied to me. He said he was, he graduated from USC. I'm like, hell yeah, smart guy. But he was like university of South Compton. I'm like, oh, you got me. You got me bad. And uh, so he was smart. He was. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. He, he joined the road. Streetwise. And, yeah, and then I got Floyd. We found Floyd in Nantucket, Massachusetts, um, about six years ago, seven years ago. And Chris, we found ten years ago when, um, when, um, when, 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 when,
he got fired from Glee. And I'm like, oh, yeah, come in my band. <laughs> so I, I have the curse. When I was in L.A., my curse was all my drummers and bass players would just join Disney bands. Like <laughs> Goldman. I was like, it was a curse. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you guys, your record. I mean, I've watched some footage of your live shows. I haven't seen you live personally, which I will. But your your records are fan freaking tastic, and I love um, as I as I was going through just some of you, some of the info on you, the talk of the discussion of playing blues rock, open sort of open ended blues rock with a disregard for the rules. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean to you? Uh, disregard the rules. I, I mean, I didn't know any rules in the first place. I never went to music <laughs> school. I didn't even know what the blues were until I spent like three weeks on a farm in Iowa. And a farmer was like, you should listen to like uh, Taj Mahal and like, yeah. uh, <laughs> you should listen to like Dr. John. I'm like, cause I was an emo kid growing up. So all I knew was like, yeah, take him back Sunday. Real big fish. Like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> They're like, um, you want to be a blues player, but you not don't know one blues band. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a good idea. I should probably learn the blues. So I, I fell in love with like Dr. John Van Morrison, the band. And that's when I started finding my sound because I was like, oh, this music exists. It's not just in my head because I don't know if you have dreams when you're like sixth grade or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. You still like I had this dream of being a blues band. I was like, or like a, a band that was just like rowdy and just just like just throwing, you know, throwing bottles at us. And we have chicken wire everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some blues brothers. Yeah, blues yeah, brothers yeah. Style. I thought I was going to be in a band like that. And I and I was like, ah, I don't know. Because I don't know. A lot, a lot of pop punk bands don't really have piano-based bands besides something corporate or something. And right, right. I was like, I'll be a blues piano player. I'll be like Jerry Lee Lewis. I'll be like, yeah. yeah. I'll light that shit on fire and jump in the crowd and, you know, sign babies and shit. It was, it was like, I've, I did everything. I, I've done everything that dream told me to do. So I, I'm, I'm stoked on <laughs> I cannot wait to see you live, man. Oh man, dude, you're um, in Colorado. We should kick it. I know. Bro. I'm here. I I would love to. Um, as the more I watch your stuff and the more I hear you hear you sing and listen to your songs, um, the more I'm very curious in the the crossover from your musical life to your podcast. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast getting on volume? I mean, that's a big deal. People don't know. Can we maybe start there? Will you talk a little bit about your partnership with Volume? Yeah, I was um, I was stoked on it. I was like. I, I started doing the video. I knew like because I was I'm a podcast addict. Like I love, I love like sports podcasts. We'll talk about we'll talk about that Denver and Heat beef too in a little bit. But oh, man. Uh, I I started I loved like Michael Rappaport. I loved Howard Stern. I loved I wanted to be a radio voice when I was a kid. Before I learned how to play music, I would just like sit in my house and just like you know do those 15 minute teasers and stuff <laughs> and, and you know just in my room my parents thought that was crazy like 88.5 this is Andy Frasca we're out here gonna be listening to newfound glory because I was like you know just like a pop punk kid and um I just love that stuff and then I just got busy with music and then when I stopped like you know really partying as hard as I as you know I still party a little hard but just at night <laughs> but not partying during the day and stuff I, I realized I had so much more free time in my hands <laughs> and my brain was working. I was like, not just tired or just hung over. So I'm like, why don't I start a podcast? Cause was, I was still going through my mental health. Like I was having a I had my first panic attack. I was like, I need, I knew I had to fill myself with some substance, but I didn't want to like start a, like an, another side business or anything. So I was like, why don't I just talk to all my friends who have gone through this, who's gone through addiction, who's gone through. Cause you know, 
being in a band for so many years, I have all these like crazy musicians who have these crazy stories about fighting addiction and fighting mm -hmm. their, their mental struggles because being on the road is hard and not a lot of people realize how hard it is to live in a coffee can your whole, you know, for I've lived in a coffee can, a van for 15 years and wow. I just don't know anything better. And a lot of, and so when you can't really relate to your mom, like you come home for Christmas and you're shaking from dehydration and being cold in the van, like, you don't want to tell your mom you're in a van. You already told her like you're kicking ass in life. <laughs> you know, so like, like, Hey, yeah, mama <laughs> actually forgot to bring two blankets in the van. So I'm a little cold, you know, whatever it is, right. You know, it's just part of the game. And but um, now she listens to your podcast. So she, knows Oh yeah. She listens to my podcast. She listens to my music. She's like my number one fan. And, Yay. um, and she supported me when I went on my first tour when I was 17, she said yes. And I think that's what changed my life. So I love the road and a lot of people don't realize how hard the road is. So going back to talking about podcasts, not, not about me, Andy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, this is fascinating. It's I fine. like them both. Yeah. So I was talking to my first interview was um, Mike Dillon and Vince Herman and George Porter and talking about, you know, George Porter's in the meter who lost all his royalties. Like same thing you're talking about the AI thing that, you know, the new age stuff with they're going to come after the musicians with the Spotify royalties and stuff too. So we could talk about that, I guess, too, in a little bit. But I wanted to talk to, I want to talk to these dudes about addiction and mental health and try to realize that I'm not I'm not effing crazy that other people are going through this. Mm -hmm. And from that, not 200 interviews later, I'm like, I'm starting to become like the Oprah of the jam scene or something. Everyone just like, won't talk. They won't talk to their, their wives about it, but they'll like spill the tea with me. It's awesome. Yeah. And for the, our listeners who aren't familiar with his podcast, check it out. I mean, yeah. just from your volume.com page, I, I see you've had Bootsy Collins on, which, Oh, come on. Um, that's ridiculous. Daniel Rateliff, Melissa Etheridge, I mean, Stevie Van Zant. come on. Yeah. Come on. That was crazy. I mean, my mom loves Stevie. She was like, she's menopausal, and she was like getting wet <laughs> over that interview. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go. Well, and it's not all music either. Like, you you get to listen to them talk right. about things they can't talk. Well, can't. They obviously can, but don't feel like they can and open up, and I think that's huge. And that, they, that's why I fell in love with the long-form pop, the long-form interview you know, on the radio, you only get 10 minutes with your favorite musicians. I, my goal is to spread it out and give them an hour of talking so we could like actually get to it. I, you know, like everyone hears about your effing record or your that so, guitar solo that you put, did on track six. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about what you want to be. Let's talk about what hurts you, what struggles you have. And let's try to figure out how to do this thing together and live long lives. Because, you know, you see a lot of musicians who, who who end their life too soon and i sometimes i think like maybe they just didn't have anyone to talk to about this because this life is lonely so we're all here yeah. together so that's all that's all i'm trying to do with this thing i love that i love that and i love the energy that you bring to all of them i don't i don't think i've heard i haven't listened to all of them but i don't think i heard one episode where your guest wasn't laughing with you at some point <laughs> and that's a huge medicine too you yeah know what i mean like you have yeah. fun with them it's a fun show to listen yeah. to this gig sucks, you know, <laughs> so hard. You get two hours of awesomeness. Everything else sucks. Yeah. We got to laugh about it, you know, <laughs> Just like oh, you're away from your parents, you're away from your friends, family, your house, your dog for like eight months. I don't have a dog. I don't have any of that. That's, <laughs> that, maybe that's but I see all my other friends who do that stuff and, um, you know, it sucks for them. I hear you. So you have a house now. I heard congratulations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. you We're got that up. to come home too. 
I got a house. I it's, I can't afford it, so I've been Airbnb in it. So I just have I, it. Always smells like someone else whenever I roll in here. But you know, YOLO. Let's go. House no. or tour van, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically the same thing. Well, one Although, moves, and you've decided yeah. to get a stationary one. So yeah, and I love Denver. You know, Denver's the Den I love Denver, and uh, I finally made a home. So I love well, it. Andy, I think you've hit something that I can't recall ever being on the podcast before. That is a smart thing for a touring musician to do. Airbnb your place while you're on the road. Like, make that house make money for you. Oh, yeah. And, like, I do that with my van. I rent my van on Turo. I mean, I am I am for sale, people. I'm like okay. Kiss. I'm like Gene Simmons up in here. Well, now I'm interested. So when you are renting out your place as an Airbnb, yeah. are you using your music career and your podcast as a selling point is it like you get to stay at andy frasco's house and there's all this music related stuff or is it just like you're andy please don't that's rob all. me is that like, like right, I mean, i've got a very blank wall over here it's I'm, all I like, white I, and I like it i i think once you a lot of my fans are partiers so like sometimes i'm afraid for them to come to my house you know, <laughs> and just screw it up but no it's like I don't I keep it how it is. I my my Laker jerseys, all hundred Laker jerseys are in my room, in my in my uh, I have is that like a guesstimate or you know oh, like the exact number to be exact. <laughs> I'm sick with it. Yeah, I'm sick with it. But oh, whatever, that's cool. Oh, we gotta get to a hundred now. Yeah. Some people like uh have a four oh one K. I got I got Laker jerseys. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go. But I know I just like keep my Red Rocks trophies up and I keep I make them feel like they're in my house. But I also don't want to like promote it, you know. I just want if they they see it on Airbnb, you know, then uh, yeah, let's have a good time. But don't don't screw anything up. It's my house. Too. <laughs> like I've seen like big old dildos in here. It's wild. Like some stuff is wild. Like just like uh, like what the hell is going on in my house? But like walking backstage and you're yeah, like, but like what? what? I mean, then I think about like what do I do in hotels? I'm like, right. oh, yeah, respect. I, you know, it's just. <laughs> What happens when you walk backstage? So you're how rich. did you I get teamed up with Volume? Was that hip? You know, normally <laughs> everyone's just looking at their phone or looking at their likes. You know, <laughs> I never had the fun backstage moments, but I feel like I've walked in after them. Like I walk into rooms and I'm like, "What happened here?" Oh yeah, you could smell it. Yeah, I hate when I some oh. of these venues you just they just smell like sticky you know. something <laughs> just smell sticky. I, I won't say a venue name on air but i bet that you and i've played the same venue in the denver area where the green room you gotta go down in this basement and it i'm like you guys haven't washed this couch in 25 years oh you're like probably this, talking about cervantes <laughs> that was not the one i was thinking of but that one too, but that too. i love oh, that, that one, one. i love the, the filth oh. i love oh, going man. in green rooms actually i'm obsessed with it i'll, I'll oh, yeah. I, I like i like smells like and like and like some rooms smell like old rock stars, like yeah. the old Fillmore in San Francisco. I'll go in there first and just smell it, and then I'll walk <laughs> out <laughs> just to see what's up. I don't actually hang out in the green room. No, I just smell it, you know, because I have too many bandmates. There's gonna be eight people in there, so I try to like go. I like being by myself. Like I'll go in the van by myself before shows. I like pace. I'm like, I can't be with eight. I'm like a rat in cage before a show. I'm like pacing, you know. Yeah. Do you smell it before and after? Are you like, all right, what does it smell like before my band comes in and destroys everything? Well, my my senses are way better when I'm, you know, not, you know, drinking, you know, acid like Jameson, you know, and my sinuses are just like I poured Jameson on myself, 
sometimes and it gets in my eyes and my nasal and just like my nostrils burn. I'm like, I don't smell anything after a show ever, but when I do get my senses back like during the day and I get the smell. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. That was a night that night happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, going back to volume. The reason why volume. I said volume, there it is. Okay. That's what we're talking about. You got to get me. See, it's late at night. I've been working since 6am. So you got to get me straight and narrow. Volume.com. Um, yeah, they, they were like watching me for the last couple of years and, um, I started getting bigger guests and I think, I think I just started like my interviewing skills got a little better. I was listening more. It wasn't just like over talking over people. So I think from there I, um, they're like, yeah, we love the show. We think it's funny. You know, it's like, cause they could have signed like a big comedian. They could have signed a big musician. They signed me to help me grow and like we're growing together. So I'm just stoked. I got this, I got, I got like three cameras. I got it. I built a podcast studio in my house. <laughs> so, you know, the Airbnb seems like it's like an amateur porn room, <laughs> but yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> um, I take it all out before, but sometimes I forget and it just lo legit looks like amateur porn in here. But, um, <laughs> and they're like, I love it. I edit. I'm the one who edits all the videos and edits all the sketches and, I'm like a one man shop with my buddy Bo. So, you know, it was easy and convenient. And um, they're like, yeah, we'll sign you for a year. And it's just been such a great partnership because I'm finally getting help because my band's getting big right now. And I just don't have enough brain capacity to do everything like build the, the I used to cut the promos and cut the sketches. And, you know, I did everything for this band. I'm still doing like the, the books and stuff and budgeting out each tour. But they, they, they're helping me with a lot of the weight. And I got to thank them for that. So shout out to volume. That's nice. Fantastic. And creating the content, you did not give yourself a pat on the back for that. Yeah. There's a lot of back end, but you're still <laughs> yeah, creating lot, all that content. <laughs> but um, I love it because people are really, they really care about the podcast and uh, they really care about what I have to say and what I'm doing with my life. And sometimes they're like, they're just watching the train wreck about to happen because they know sometimes when I get off, when I get back on the bender, sometimes I'll have like a couple week bender. Sometimes they start feeling it on my Tuesday mornings or my Monday morning motivations. Like, Oh, he's back on the sauce. Isn't he? So, and you've been open about that, which is, yeah. has that been helpful towards your, I don't want to say sobriety because I actually applaud the fact that you seem to have found that middle ground where it's not an all or nothing thing you can yeah. kind of normalize. But did that, um, I don't want to say help, uh, does having that outlet for you get you back on track? Is it some form of accountability? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, like you, you nailed it on the head. If you make yourself accountable and say, Hey, everyone's going to screw up. Everyone's going to, you know, something's going to, you're going to get a curveball, You're going to get a heartbreak or you're not going to get that job or maybe your, your relationships in life. Uh, you know, are not good and you're going to curve ball and maybe relapse for a couple of days. And you got to like not hurt your beat yourself up about that and just get back on the horse and fight again because a lot of people, you know, I get, I get crapped on a lot for talking about publicly about my intake of alcohol and stuff. Cause I preach mental health and stuff. But I, for me talking publicly about it is putting the work in. You know, yeah. you're, if you're suppressing these feelings and if you're suppressing and suppressing and hiding all these things, then there's a problem. But if you could at least talk about it and say, listen, I'm going to I'm going to like not do as much or I'm going to still enjoy my life and I'm still going to have fun or smoke a couple cigarettes or whatever. I smoke a lot. I actually smoke a lot of cigarettes, but everything else I'm like, 
don't really do that much of anymore because I have too much time on my hand. I mean, I have too much work to do to get all effed up all the time. Now, you know, you just you got to put yourself accountable and say, listen, you're screwing up your liver, screwing up your lungs. What are you going to do about it? You're going to let that win or you're going to get out there and fight. So I every day I fight. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it sounds like you're helping others fight as well, which is good, giving them a place to uh, feel like they're not alone in that right. fight. There's there's yeah. more of us than we think. You can't be honest with yourself. Who are you going to be honest with? You know? Your therapist. Here. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> what, if, what if the therapist is not there at 4 a.m.? you got to be yeah. stuck with that anxiety. Yeah. That's happened to me a couple of times for me and a little too many edibles where I'm yeah. just locked in there. You know, I had to call my friend like, I'm dying, I'm dying. I, my throat is dry. She's like, you are just high. Like, oh. What's like, happening? Like when you go through anxiety, it doesn't matter what triggers it. Then your body goes into warning attack mode and then all your demons start coming out and then yeah. you start getting freaked out. Mm -hmm. Like you always gotta like work on ourselves, figure out how to way not to have panic attacks, figure out a way how to not have anxiety and figure out a way to, um, you know, be your body's buddy. Like we can't be at fight with our body. That sounds horrible. You're always at fight with your body. Like what the what you know with your brain? Do you, I don't want to be fought be in a fight with my brain all the time. It just sucks. I love well, that. learning to control those things like at the onset of like a panic attack and being able to corral your mind enough to where it doesn't go to that next level. Right? Like right. you're able to get the tools in place so that you can stop it or maybe even pull it back before it's off that deep end. And that's such a huge skill that yeah. takes and a lot of people have to quit completely. A lot of people yeah. can't do that. And that's okay too. Yeah. I just know how I could control myself. I know I don't never take anything to the to the limit limit. You know, I I and when I do, I look myself in the mirror in the morning and said, just shake my head like you're big, you're bigger than that. You're stronger than that. You know, go get them. So the intro to each of your podcasts for those of you that have not tuned into the world saving podcast. Um are these lovely little clips of uh, somebody yelling at you for something. My manager. It, it changes regularly, but he's yelling at you Everyone, for something. Everyone's yelling at me. You know, my manager, my parents, my my publicist. It's just like, it's like God damn so, it. Chill out, everyone. I got it under control. Where did that come from? And are you you know, curating that. I, I was just interested is like, Oh, does that come out before you do any content? You're like, well, let's see what they're ripping on me for this week. Or are yeah, you guys get, like, I'll you got to come get. up with something to rip on me for. Yeah, no, no, they don't need any help. They, I, I'm, I deserve <laughs> all of it, yeah. but Oh yeah. They give all my manager is this neurotic Jewish man from Denver. He's like, he, he, he manages a lot of like, you know, like songwriter, like the Dawes and his gold messenger and all these bands who don't really get in trouble. You know, they just you know do their music, love their wives and, you know, get to dinner by eight o'clock. You know, they're not that type. Like Zach Sloan. Yeah. Like Zach. Oh, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Family man. Yeah. 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 Uh, come, come I hang see out. How clean that basement is. You are a family man, dog. Well, I know I you. Am. Yeah. Come see, see my band, dear Marshall. Just <laughs> see how. See how right. clean, clean cut we are. You put it on the stage and then you get home by dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which and, isn't uh, bad. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was always ripping me on. You know, he just wants me to be more professional. I hear him. I hear him. But sometimes his these voicemails are so obnoxious that I I, I make fake voicemails to rebuttal them. Like, I'll call my, <laughs> I'll call my comedian friend just like because if I say it, it's passive aggressive. But if I have a 
comedians say it, it's comedy. <laughs> so I just always get my comedian friends just like to rip on them, you know, I'm like, you know. he rips on you in a uh, shoe wearing quite often, which I, yeah. I can't see anything from this uh, video. But if I go purely by his rants, uh, he's not quite pleased with the fact that you seem to tour the world without shoes. Yeah, I'm barefoot all the time. I don't know. I just I, my feet are so wide. My feet hurt with shoes. They're just, I'm like, they're claustrophobic. <laughs> I got these like pterodactyl Fred Flintstone feet. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Sports? like I wear sandals because I can't fit into shoes. My feet are dehydrated. I have I, I eat too much sodium because I love Taco Bell. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, really? I'm on the road. I'm living in gas stations. I'm bloated. <laughs> Do you, do you think those messages are therapy for him? Is oh, he yeah. uh, is he just like, oh man, as long as I can get it out and say it, we'll yeah. laugh and about it. And he knows I'll post on. about it. So everyone's accountable now. <laughs> They're like, hey, this guy croaks. You all, you all, you're all you're all laughing at the the effing joke. You know? This is like oh, a, on those early Eminem albums where there's like the the interludes that's just his lawyer yelling at him. You can't put that on an album, M. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, so this week's guest has been Andy Frasco from the World Saving Podcast and Andy Frasco in the UN, which is a wonderful band we should all check out for. Before we let you go, right. we are going to ask you the same question we ask all of our guests. Do you have any tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, don't chase the rabbit's tail. And don't and be unapologetically yourself because no one wants to be, see a copycat. I mean, I know you love that band or I know you love that artist, but like they did that. Go do something else. Go uh, go get out there and be yourself. You know, doesn't worry. Don't worry about writing music or making art because it's popular and we got to make money. Well, you'll eventually make money if it comes from your heart and it comes from your soul. And you have to work your ass off. Can't just do it half ass. You have to do it a hundred and. 55% or it's not going to work out. So get out there and show me what you're worth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I feel like a high school football coach sometimes. I'm like, guys, it's the fourth quarter. I know Jimmy's mom's hot and you're all looking at her in the stands, but I need you to step it up a little bit. Where did you go to school? I went to, I went, oh, my, I went to LA. It was like 5,000 people. I went everywhere. Was, everybody's mom was beautiful they walked out of the course hot. and you I was like, like where are you yeah, going i'm like everyone i'm like private school heaven i'm like oh my god everyone is hot here everyone and i'm just out here with a like a, a little jewish afro it was like a, 225 pounds at the time I'm like i ain't getting laid no i better be in a band or something because that's the only way i'm getting laid and that's how it starts for most of us. <laughs> oh, man. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you here, Andy. Uh, Don't be a stranger. Come back and right. visit us real soon. Anytime. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm only I'm working, so I love to work more. So give, give, me, give me all the work. Sweet. I love it. I love it. All right. I'm going to be checking out your more of your podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see more of the exciting things going on at volume.com. But again, thank you for your time, Andy, and we'll uh, hopefully hear from you soon. Yeah, Zach, hit me up. Let's 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 throw, let's, let's throw let's down up, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see the music you two create. I didn't get to chat with you before about your like journey around the country writing music, and I've got all these notes, and it'll oh, save yeah. it for the next show. Next now we have to have you back. Yeah. But I was like, now you got to get together with Zach Sloan because I want to see what the two of you create. First, let's have a couple cocktails and get to know each other. Then we'll write some music. That, that's how. It go <laughs> that's the best way to do it. All right. Yeah. Later, Forget guys. everything you learned. All right. Thank you, Andy. Have a good night. Bye. 
And thank you, Zach Sloan. And thank, thank you. you, viewers and listeners. Hopefully we uh, held down the fort for Ryan well enough that you guys will come back and visit us next week when hopefully he will be back and we will all be back. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great time. <laughs>